Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 419. Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. Welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to help support and inspire new trauma workers through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. Thanks so much for joining me today, and here we go. All right, guys, uh, I just want to say that I am thrilled to have this podcast sponsored by cptsdfoundation.org. You know, a little while ago, I actually got to meet the founder, uh, Athena Moberg of CPTSD Foundation. We met here in San Francisco, sat down, uh, had breakfast, and it was amazing. It, it, you know, I got to feel and see her passion, the passion that she has for this work, and not just for therapists and clinicians, but survivors as well. CPTSD Foundation provides peer-led support and adjunctive care in between therapy sessions for survivors of complex trauma. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, survivors can come together to give and receive support and validation and feel equipped with the knowledge and skills they can use every day. You can check it out. Are you tired of spending countless hours buried under mountains of progress notes or clinical notes? It's time to focus on what truly matters, which is providing exceptional care to your clients. Introducing Text Expander, your ultimate solution to help you streamline documentation and boost your productivity. I've been using Text Expander for years, and it's one of the tools I use every single day. If you're a therapist, if you're a coach, any content or text you use on a regular basis in your progress notes, for example, your name, address, or even longer forms, paragraphs of notes, or sections of reports, you can create a shortcut for it. Text Expander automatically populates entire paragraphs of text, saving you valuable time and effort, and it allows you to get back to what truly matters your clients. Text Expander is offering the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners 20% off when you go to textexpander.com slash trauma. That's textexpander.com slash trauma. At CPSD 
foundation.org. Their website is amazing. They have daily recovery support. They have free support groups. They have a healing book club. And Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners can get 50% off the first month when they join the daily recovery support calls. You can check that out by going to cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. Once again, that's cptsdfoundation.org slash trauma therapist podcast. Or just head on over to the website at traumatherapistpodcast.com and click on the link there and you'll be in business. This episode is sponsored by Somatic Experiencing. Trauma may be a fact of life, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Somatic Experiencing is a psychobiological method of addressing clients' physical and emotional trauma conditions and helps to give voice to their experiences without a need for them to retell their story. SE focuses on regulation of the nervous system and offers the opportunity to engage, complete, and resolve the body's instinctual responses to traumatic experiences. For more information regarding somatic experiencing and the SE professional training program, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners can visit traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. That's traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and I am very excited to have as my guest, Rebecca Cooper. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, guys. Nice to be here. I told you, you've got lots of fans for this podcast where I work. Uh, Oh, I appreciate that. I I really appreciate that. Thanks for saying that. So Rebecca has been named to the newly created role of National Spokesperson and Vice President of Public Affairs for Child Help, one of the nation's largest nonprofit organizations dedicated to the treatment and prevention of child abuse. Founded in 1959, Child Help is embarking on its 60th year helping children and families with services across the United States, including residential living communities, treatment centers, and the National Child Abuse Hotline, 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-4-A-C-H-I-L-D. Named by the Washington Business Journal to its inaugural Power 100 list of the most influential people in Washington, Maryland, and Virginia, Rebecca Cooper has spent three decades in senior positions in media, business, and government in the nation's capital. The winner of several top journalist awards, Rebecca Rebecca has worked for NBC News, ABC News, and CNN. She served in the White House and State Department as the Clinton Administration's Chief of Staff to U.S. Ambassador to United Nations, Bill Richardson. And you're also the mother of three sons and one schnoodle rescue dog. I had to get that in there. (laughs) He's my biggest baby. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Rebecca, thanks again for being here. Guy, thank you. All right. So before we get uh, going here, uh, tell our listeners where you're from and where you're calling from, and then let's uh, dive in. Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Uh, Our Child Health headquarters is actually in Phoenix, Arizona, but we have offices in D.C. We have a treatment village in Virginia. We have offices and uh, services in California, Tennessee, and uh, our hotline is nationwide. So we're all over. Okay. So let me, let's just cut to the chase here. How did you get to write this place right now to child help? What, why are you here? Why are you doing this? So it was fate that brought me to child help. I uh, was um, a television news anchor here in Washington and frequently asked to um, support different charities and always wanted to support as many as I could, but I was having babies and uh, in a, 
stressful job. And uh, Child Help every year has uh, a lunch with members of Congress where they talk to them about the agenda ahead for child abuse legislation. And I came as a fill-in at the last minute when our anchor who was supposed to go uh, couldn't make it. And I fell in love with the organization and our two founders. We were founded um, by these two women, Sarah O'Meara and Yvonne Federson, 60 years ago. They were Hollywood actresses who switched careers to dedicate their lives to children. So it's a big celebration this year, celebrating our 60th. And so I fell in love with them, fell in love with the work, um, dedicated all the free time I could to it and was on the board for 15 years. And uh, when it was when I was ready to step away from television news, I was looking for that job. I think I'm just an old millennial. I wanted a job with purpose. Mm-hmm. And going to work full-time with Child Help was that job. So, I mean, if we go a little deeper here, you know, not everyone who's going to be attending a, uh, a meeting at the last second for something they feel strongly about is going to dive in the way you dive, dove in. What was the what was the, the 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 personal pull there? I think it was a combination of two things. One was the timing. I had a newborn baby, and I was one of those people who couldn't imagine anyone abusing their child because this was the most joyful thing that had ever happened to me. And yet, at the same time, I totally got it. I understood what it was like to be up sleepless nights, to not know what to do to stop the crying, to feel like (laughs) we're so frustrated. And we get calls like that to the hotline all the time. We get calls um, from parents and we love taking those calls. We can walk them through a night where they're at their wits end and they don't know how to deal with a newborn or an infant and we can talk them through it. We had one counselor who spent 45 minutes on the phone with a mother um, whose baby was crying and the mother had been abused and she was worried she was gonna hit her baby. Mm. And our counselor stayed on the phone with her for 45 minutes and our counselor says she was literally rocking on the call at the end because she was showing the mother how to rock the baby and teaching the mother that it's okay for babies to cry, that you want to help them through it, but you're not a failure when they cry. So, so I think that, that really responded. And then I just responded to the work they were doing. They have just been so impassioned for so many years and helped so many people. That's uh, an incredible story about that, that, that therapist doing that, that on, on the phone. But it, and it's also interesting to know that people can call if they're feeling at their wits end. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. It's not just if someone knows of a, an abusive exactly. situation. So talk a little bit more about that. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad you're having me here because um, we have 24-7 counseling available and it is available to anyone and people don't realize what a resource it is. Every state, military bases around the world, um, we can take phone calls with trained counselors who can either be that emergency phone call if uh, we've gotten those phone calls where a child's literally hiding in a closet and the father or the caregivers trying to break into the closet and we've been the one to then get on the phone with 911 and get the emergency response there um, just in a crisis situation but we're also there to help uh, anyone who's worried about a situation either of their own or someone else's we've been there um, I sat in on the hotline to listen in one day and there was someone who called um, who was worried about a young child at his work site that was clearly underage and wanted to make sure that he was in school. Um, we had one call that was really touching this year from a mother whose son had been beaten by uh, his father and everything that you want to happen in our child abuse world had happened. 
um, police had been contacted, medical care had been provided to the child, he had been taken out of the father's home, all the wheels were turning to help him, and the mother called because she just couldn't cope with the guilt and the fear that she had of her son having been beaten. The father had said, his father, he thought the son might be gay, and he said he was going to beat the gay out of him. And she was terrified it would happen again. She was terrified uh, that she wouldn't know how to handle it. And our therapist spent an hour on the phone with the mother as she wept and as our therapist convinced her that she could handle this, that she was strong and that she was already doing the right things mm. and that she could be there for him. Um, so the trauma isn't just with the child. It's sometimes with the parent or caregiver or other family members or some the teachers, so many people that we have to work and help um, that aren't getting the resources they need. Uh, so in addition to the hotline, what else, how else does child help help? So we have several different programs. We have our national hotline um, that is in every state um, and uh, military bases around the world. We have uh, a children's advocacy center in Phoenix, like so many children's advocacy centers that are now the models and communities around the country. We, we had one of the first and we like, to uh, pride ourselves on really having set the standard for children's advocacy centers. Um, we were recently evaluated again, and they said, this is really the bar we want set, where we've got the Phoenix Police Department housed in our advocacy center. We've got the medical services at the advocacy center, the therapist, the play space. Um, because what we found in child abuse is children were having to go to too many different places that were terrifying. So with advocacy centers, the child can go to one place where they get the care they needed. And then finally, we also have um, residential treatment villages in California and in uh, Virginia. We've got treatment in Tennessee and we have foster family services. But with the residential treatment, we have these beautiful ranches where the children who are the most traumatized by abuse go to live and it's residential care, um, typically for a year or more for children um, who can't be placed in foster care because they're too traumatized um, to be ready for foster care. And we use RF therapy and equine therapy and talk therapy and all kinds of modalities um, mm -hmm. to work through their trauma. You know, this is, is making me think of um, when I was uh, working in a clinic here up in, in Northern California, and we were assessing and treating young kids who were showing early signs of psychosis. And part of the job was to kind of man the phones. Um, and, you know, and I, I really like doing it because we would get calls in, referral calls from teachers and therapists and parents and so forth, kind of calling and letting us know about their particular kid, their child, and, and seeing if it was a good fit to bring them in for the assessment. And Rebecca, one of the things that just blew me away, just terrified me in a sense, was that you know 99.9% .9 of these kids had gone through trauma. And so often when the parents talked and shared what was going on, um, they would talk about events in their lives that were traumatic but for them it didn't register as traumatic you know yeah. and maybe for an example might be you know witnessing to domestic violence not themselves being a victim right. quote-unquote right. very traumatic yeah yeah and it, it's like it, it's and of course kids being abused but it's 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 non it's all everywhere <laughs> witnessing uh, a murder, witnessing a crime, losing uh, a loved one as a child. Um, what we're seeing now with refugees, um, there's so much childhood trauma. Um, and 
for with the abused child, it becomes generational and intergenerational. And we have the tools to break. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Break that cycle and stop the next generation, but it takes time and it takes funding, and that's where I'm proud of the work Child Help does. We, uh, it's a private part, uh, public partnership where for the villages, for example, we get reimbursed by the states. For the Virginia village, um, uh, we get children from Virginia, West Virginia, D.C., Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and the states reimburse us for the cost of them staying there for the mm -hmm. basic food and shelter. But what we provide as the nonprofit is all that additional work that it takes to really heal that child. So the equine therapy, the art therapy, living on a ranch, having the kind of um, therapist, trained therapist there that can really help those children. But it takes time. And one of the things that we're grappling with um, as an organization is uh, so many places uh, are trying to reduce the amount of time that they reimburse for that kind of care for children because, of course, our children, our primary uh, reimbursement from state, it's Medicaid. And state's Medicaid funding is they're always trying to look for places to cut. So right. there's a push in a lot of states to reduce the amount of time that children can spend in these residential treatment facilities um, to even as little as 90 days. And Guy, it takes us 90 days with these children who have been severely traumatized for them to even be ready to talk. Right. Um, we have this girl that's just taken my heart um, at one of our villages um, and she was at the Christmas show and she, little, little thing, eight years old, didn't weigh very much, and she pushed her way at the Christmas show to the front of the stage and grabbed the microphone. And it took a lot to push packs for the bigger boys. We have kids from five to 15 years old. And she so clearly wanted to be heard, and she grabbed that microphone, and she sang as loud as she could. And I was sharing that with the director of the village um, a few months later. And he said, that's really interesting, he said, because that's when she first got here. And he said she wouldn't talk she couldn't give word to what her trauma was. And it was only after several months there that she even started opening up about the horrific um, sexual abuse that she had suffered. And we started making great progress with her, but she's someone who's gonna need to be there for a year. We have kids there for two years and it takes that amount of time for that kind of trauma to heal. But if you spend that time, mm -hmm. you're saving all those future medical bills that those kids will have, addiction that they'll have, and future abuse. You know, one of the statistics we really want people to be more aware of is that five children die every day in the United States as a result of child abuse. That's more than any other childhood cause of death other than cancer. It's more than drowning. It's more than gun violence. It's more than uh, accidental poisons. It's more than all of those other things. But we don't talk about it. It's this silent epidemic. And one of the reasons the numbers go up is because if you're abused as a child and you have three children, you've given birth to three future child abusers in all likelihood with the current statistics. You look at situations like R. Kelly. You look at situations like when Michael Brown beat Rihanna and people were so shocked. But really what's shocking is if you can break the cycle. Michael Brown was allegedly abused as a child. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be so shocking when he abuses Rihanna. It's not an excuse, but we shouldn't be surprised. 
R. Kelly was allegedly sexually abused. His brother says they were both sexually abused. It shouldn't be surprising when that cycle continues. So you really got to take the time to get in there and break the cycle. So that's what we try to do. And it, it works. If you take the time, you can do it. We have so many graduates of our program that are now parents and, mm -hmm. and loving individuals and can, working and, and on their constant journey of healing, but they're able to really um, overcome the, that generational curse. You talked about uh, five kids a day dying as a result of, I mean, that's horrific. Well, and you know, um, we have a terrific new COO coming on board in Arizona, um, Greg McKay, who ran Foster Children's Services for the state of Arizona for Governor Ducey. And one of the reasons we love him is he started off as a cop on, a, on the street who became a detective investigating child abuse. And he was one of those who worked out of child health offices and would go in and handle the child abuse cases. And he likes to say, that's one of the most underestimated numbers out there because mm -hmm. We know it's almost five a day of those that are reported mm -hmm. and are known to be child abuse. We know there's so many more out there that it gets hidden and the doctors don't always, uh, aren't able to fully diagnose what's happening really. This, this, you know, phrase silent epidemic, you know, um, you know, when I was sharing my experience working at that clinic and hearing all those stories, I mean, that, that was one of my, uh, the reasons why I started this, you know, I mean, some, something's got to be done here. What, you know, you've kind of alluded to it throughout our, our discussion so far. What, what, what are you guys coming up against in terms of getting the word out there in terms of making this uh, not a silent epidemic? Well, um, you know, it's interesting because I've spent my career, I was a government official, as you said, and I was a television news anchor. Um, so if anyone's good at, uh, knowing how to use a megaphone, it's me, but I often say my sister is an uh, executive at the Red Cross, and um, I say to her, you know, with hurricanes and other things like that, people see it and people want to respond, and we're such a generous uh, country and society that when people see that kind of destruction, they, they write checks. For us, it's constantly trying to get the word out because funding is so important for what we do, but we have to protect the privacy of the children. So we can't put their faces out there publicly. We can't share their stories in ways where um, I can't use the real name of the children that uh, I've talked about today or that I can share with you. Um, it's not something you can um, easily publicize, um, but it's there. It's there every day in our country, and we just need to do a better job of talking about it. I think there's also shame around it and, and a common belief that it's, that it's not there and that it's not in every segment of our society. And it is at every income level. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think all those are good points. Um, one of the things that came to my mind is, you know, when you're talking about uh, natural disasters and, and so forth, those are uh, kind of external traumatic incidents in a sense. Yeah. You know, talking about abuse and, and, and complex abuse and it's, it's interpersonal. It, it's, it's, it gets you feel it in your bones, and like you said, uh, there's there is a lot of shame, and there's also this sense um, to add to everything you said that you know if you can't see it, you know, you know, yeah, you're not hurt, you're not wounded, you didn't go right. to combat, your exactly. leg wasn't blown off. Exactly. Come on, bullying happens. Yeah. You know, and of course, the perpetrators of child abuse. First of all, for the visible abuse. They're very good at making the abuse hidden. 
So there could be iron burns on a child and a teacher may not even see them. One of the programs we do that I didn't uh, mention is we provide uh, the Speak Up, Be Safe school curriculum for schools across the country to teach teachers and students um, how to recognize abuse and others, how to respond to abuse. Um, we had a student just reach out on our hotline. We now have text messaging and kids can now text us, mm -hmm. which has really opened up a whole new way of getting being able to reach children. Um, and because of that presentation, she was at a friend's house and she recognized child abuse that was going on in her friend's house and she texted us and we were able to uh, uh, intervene. Um, but especially for our youngest um, children and keep in mind for the deaths, the deaths are usually children two years and older. The older children can often survive their uh, abuse, but then they're left traumatized. Um, mm. Even for the survivors, children don't always have the words to use to tell you what's going on. And that's why um, the type of therapy that we use is so important when it's children versus adults, because this abuse can start before they even know what words to give it. And once they start speaking, they still aren't sure what words to use. So that's why we use art therapy and animal therapy and music therapy um, because in play therapy, um, working through words isn't always the right way to reach these kids. They don't yeah. have the words. Yeah. Who are you? Um, well, let me, let me rephrase that. How, you know, the listeners here are therapists of all kinds and uh, whether they're kind of seasoned or starting out or they're students in graduate school, um, people who've experienced trauma are, are listening as well. What would you like them to know? How can they use this information that you're sharing today? I think one of the things that our therapists know that um, has been uh, so helpful to me to learn is for the kind of work that we do when you're working with children, the most important thing to remember is to give it time, to let it take time. You know, Peter Levine um, talks about how uh, if you suffered a specific trauma, then you may be in fight or flight for years if you're not healed. If you suffered chronic trauma, his work and other points out that chronic trauma more often just shut down entirely. So, so often, um, and he also talks about how the fact that as a society, we want to get to the root of the problem quickly. Um, and our therapists talk about how they really had to learn to slow it all down and wait and go at a child's pace and know that it's okay, that it may take several meetings with a child of doing nothing but playing with them and not talking before they start to open up. It may take just letting them draw um, we have uh, a therapist who talked about one of her first cases being a, a girl, um, a, a boy in uh, California, who, when you first, when you tried to talk to him, he would become very chaotic, and then he would just shut down in the way that victims of chronic abuse shut down. And so, once she stopped even trying to talk and just kept playing with him at their therapy sessions after many, many months of therapy sessions where they were playing, he started to slowly open up and give words um, to what he had experienced. Um, but that was an early lesson for her of how long uh, it can take. And, and letting them use other things besides words, like um, pictures. One of our um, survivors, a woman named Lisa, who's now doing great, um, she was very belligerent when she came to the village and had been 
in and out of several foster homes and have been taken away and separated from her sisters because she would always question authority and, and want to know why people were asking questions, but she wasn't ready to give explanations. And she said it was the art lady, it was our art therapist who just let her express herself and slowly she started showing what happened to her through mm -hmm. pictures. And she talks about how sad her original pictures were, storm clouds and parents fighting and all those kinds of things. And a big breakthrough was when the art therapist said, okay, now draw what you want the world to be. And she drew a really uplifting picture of what she could envision the world being. And uh, she said it was being heard in that way and being allowed to show both the sad things that she needed to express and the hopes we're breakthrough for her so, so give it the time that it needs uh, and use a lot of different resources so uh, we haven't really got a chance to talk much I'm talking too much about my other things but our animal therapy and equine therapy you did a great show recently with Maddie Caballo talking about um, uh, how she used equine therapy to heal we see it as so important in the work we do whether it's at our ranches where mm -hmm. there are horse ranches and equine therapy is a really important part of the therapy process. Mm -hmm. But even in our Phoenix Child Advocacy Center, we bring in miniature ponies and all kinds of animals and we've had children open up to the animals where we even had a child never open up to the therapist completely and we took the animal to court and the child was able to testify in court oh to the uh, animal and talk about what she had experienced. Um, so be open to using a lot of different ways of reaching out to young people. So are, if therapists feel that, I mean, what you're sounding is the resources are amazing. How uh, can therapists Maybe they have a referral for, for a kid. Can they reach out? What, what's the process? So uh, for uh, any advocacy center, whether it's our Child Health Advocacy Center in Phoenix or any of the children's advocacy centers that are around the country, um, from here in the Washington area to um, most communities now, follow that model. Um, it's just a matter of uh, contacting child, children's services or contacting our hotline. If you contact one 800 for a child we can tell you the advocacy center in your community. And a lot of them use these different types of therapies. For our villages, our California village and our Virginia village, those are court appointed. Those are the okay. children who have suffered the most um, and are in need of the most help. Um, and so the court decides that they go there until they're ready to be placed in foster home or um, in a family. Okay. So let me ask you something. You know, you said you were a, a, a news anchor, you've had experience in Washington, and you start, you're doing this work. I mean, this is, this is no joke. You know, um, I moved from uh, working at the network, I worked at CNN ABC when I started having children. And um, I discovered quickly I wasn't very good at the local news stories where I had to cover uh, a lot of tragic stories of children um, dying. And it had been much easier for me to cover Congress and the White House, and I used to say to my boss, you know, Congress makes me cry, but in a whole different way than these kinds of stories make me cry. And um, I wasn't very good at local news, so I gravitated towards business news. They ended up creating, letting me create a whole business news show in Washington. Um, because um, I am an empathetic person, and I would just feel too deeply, I, I wasn't very good at covering the stories because I was practically in tears myself. Um, and I really also wanted to make a difference. And um, with television reporting, it was nice. There were times I got to shine the spotlight on something that mattered. Um, but this is one area, child abuse, where even with my years in television, 
we can't shine the spotlight enough and we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. We at Child Health are just so committed to trying to be louder and more vocal about the work that needs to be done. And there's so many great child abuse um, advocacy organizations across the country um, that we work with. Um, and uh, we just appreciate opportunities like this to talk about it because people are stunned to hear just how prevalent it is and how many children die and that we have the tools to stop it. We just um, need, we need the community's help. We need people to call, we need people to report, and we need people to realize that this is an expenditure that matters. So when I talk about Medicaid funding, we need all of our governments to realize this is funding that matters. If, and I realize we're closing in on time here, but as we close, in, close down, if you, you could have the wish fulfilled that um, in an ideal world, you could get the word out or we could shine a bright enough light, what would that look like? Uh, it would just be a more consistent topic. Um, you know, you think about how often we talk about if there's gun violence in the school, we cover it as a news media, and we should. Um, when something happens like uh, Sandy Hook, uh, that's something that we absolutely should respond to, and we do. Um, it becomes too easy to turn, to turn a blind eye to the things that are day in and day out so prevalent, like child abuse, and the things that we don't always have the camera trained on them, or we don't always have a survivor that can immediately come forward. So I think just as a society, my ideal world will be one where uh, all of us do a better job listening um, for those silent cries for help and, and, and shining the spotlight on it. And you always ask, I like that you always ask for books to recommend. So uh, can I, can I recommend? Of course. Yeah, please. Um, uh, so one of my favorite is uh, Silence Broken. And that's a book that our founders wrote, Sarah O'Mara and Yvonne Pedersen about the way that um, trauma-informed uh, therapy has helped our children at Child Health and the way that Child Health has uh, helped so many children. Um, and then we have great therapists who have contributed. One of the other books that I really like, Trauma-Informed Practices with Children and Adolescents. Um, William Steele uh, was the editor of that, along with Kathy Malciato, um, but one of our therapists who was a therapist in our Fairfax, Virginia Advocacy Center, Eliana Gill, uh, was a contributor to that book. And uh, you can still get it on Amazon and Kimball. It's a little bit harder to get, but it's got some great uh, information for anyone training to be a therapist about the special types of practice that it takes to work with children and adolescents. And it's got some very good um, trauma-informed uh, guidance about victims of abuse. Okay. So, Kathy was a, a previous guest on the podcast. I love her. Um, Rebecca, yeah. So let me just remind everyone that I'm speaking with uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Cooper. Uh, she's with Child Help. And what's the best way for people to, to reach out to you, get in touch with Child Help? Two easy Help. ways, www.childhelp.org. All the information you need about all of our different programs. And for everyone to share the phone number that you shared, 1-800-4-the-number-4-a, the letter A, a child, 1-800-4-CHILD. Anyone can use that phone number if they need help um, raising a child, if they need help reaching out for a family in need, um, if they are a child in need. We now have texting. We're seeing a tremendous response from younger people, teenagers who are afraid to make the phone call, but they will text. And uh, it's a great resource for people who use and who want them to know about it. Awesome. It's been a pleasure having you on here and you're so inspiring. I love it. It's not me, but the people I work with, they are very inspiring. I will say oh. that. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Once again, thank you to Semitic Experiencing for sponsoring this podcast. Semitic Experiencing Trauma Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to resolving trauma worldwide by providing professional training and education in somatic experiencing. It was founded by Dr. Peter Levine, author of the bestseller Waking the Tiger, who developed somatic experiencing based on explorations of how animals deal with threat, nervous system overwhelm, and traumatic experiences on a daily basis. Learn more about somatic experiencing and the SE Professional Training Program at traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. That's traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. All right, guys, uh, I just want to say that I am thrilled to have this podcast sponsored by cptsdfoundation.org. You know, a little while ago, I actually got to meet the founder, uh, Athena Moberg of CPTSD Foundation. We met here in San Francisco, sat down, uh, had breakfast, and it was amazing. It, it, you know, I got to feel and see her passion, the passion that she has for this work, and not just for therapists and clinicians, but survivors as well. CPTSD Foundation provides peer-led support and adjunctive care in between therapy sessions for survivors of complex trauma. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, survivors can come together to give and receive support and validation and feel equipped with the knowledge and skills they can use every day. You can check it out at cpstfoundation.org. Their website is amazing. They have daily recovery support. They have free support groups. They have a healing book club. And Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners can get 50% off the first month when they join the daily recovery support calls. You can check that out by going to cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. Once again, that's cptsdfoundation.org slash trauma therapist podcast. Just head on over to the website at traumatherapistpodcast.com and click on the link there and you'll be in business. Music.